Hi, I'm Shannon, pastor at Sturgeon Bay Community Church. I want to thank you for joining us during our study of the book of Mark, where the theme is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. The whole point of studying this book is so that you can find out more about what the Bible has to say about the person and the work and the message of Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to grab a cup of coffee and a notebook, and let's dive into the book of Mark. And I hope that you could join us sometime soon for a live service where ministry happens in relationships and you can get connected to other brothers and sisters in the faith. See you soon. Well, good morning. How many of you have gardens? You getting them in? Get a little dirty, a little bit of sore and everything today? All around our house are fields. There's 50 acres of fields, and as the, the farmers have been coming out and getting them ready, it's been fascinating to watch them turning the, uh, the soil over and getting it leveled and getting it ready to plant. And um, Over the course of the week, I was, I was watching a particular farmer who was putting grain in, and it was really neat. And so I was talking to him for a minute, and he said, well, I got to finish drilling, and then uh, we can talk again. And I said, drilling? You're cutting a new well? And he said, no, no or no. Uh, but he said they were, the grain drill, he goes along and it plants the grains and then the cultipacker comes behind it and lays it up. And then um, he, he knows exactly how much grain it takes to do his fields. And it was really a fascinating process the way he was talking about setting up his, uh, uh, setting up his fields and getting them going and everything. So um, today what I thought we would do is open up with uh, just looking at what was going on in Jesus' day. And when he was delivering this particular parable we're going to look at in Mark chapter 4. Um, the things that were happening uh, in his world and how that translates to ours. Okay, so um, let's see. It's doing all kinds of crazy things now, so I'm just going to do one of these things where we say slide or something. I can't get it to work. So uh, today what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go slide, and that'll work for us. All right. In Jesus' day, the crowd that had gathered uh, that we read about uh, here in Mark chapter 4 was gathered because there had been this man walking around who was who was healing people and delivering messages and the messages were powerful and the whole the whole scene the whole moray around it was fascinating as Jesus was speaking to this crowd though he's going to be speaking to them in what he calls what we call parables parables are going to be stories that teach a point but you got to be careful with a parable that when you do that the people who are around you have some point of connection uh, to what it is you're talking about. So in this particular parable, Jesus is going to be um, bringing up this issue of sowing. So in Jesus' day, a bit of an agricultural revolution was taking place. And in this agricultural revolution, what was happening is people were trying to figure out how to get the most yield out of the things that they were planting. Sound familiar? And so when they would plant grain, they were hoping that grain would, would sprout and make the, the heads, the shoots on the top of the grain, they would have lots and lots and lots of tillers and lots and lots of grain because more productivity means you get to keep more. Now, if you're living under the Roman Empire, particularly if you're a Jew uh, or a people under, uh, under occupation, here's why this is important. If you're Jewish, first of all, 23.5% of everything that you make that comes in is is given to the temple. That's your tithe. How many of you thought the tithe was 10%? Don't lie. It's okay. You, you, I did too. 23.5% is what they owed the temple every year. That was their tithe, their first fruits. And then beyond that, the Romans would take about a quarter or a third of all that you made as tribute to them. So by the time you get done with it, whatever you've planted, you're really only getting 
about a half or a third of what you've planted, you get to keep. And that's what your family operates on. That's what your farm operates on. Thank you, Andrew. That's what, that's what uh, you have to live on for the course of the year. As Jesus stood on that, on that boat and he's teaching to the hillside that year, he's teaching these people and he uses an illustration that would have immediately hit home about sowing and reaping and about the people who are casting their seed. And in this particular moment, he's speaking about a grain. Now, here's what had just happened in this agricultural revolution. Down in Egypt, in an area called Andalusia, in these two areas, a type of grain, it was called a Kofu grain, had been uh, engineered. And it was a humpback grain. And what was happening is they were planting this, and one seed, one grain that was planted was yielding stalks that were making 120 of these things called spikelets, making as many as 360 to 400 grains per yield, which means you plant one, you get 360 to 400 out of it. What? This is huge. So people are realizing the same piece of ground, the same amount of work is benefiting this much more. This is exciting. This news had spread across the Levant, which is the ancient Israel uh, area, and everybody was hearing about this new technology. As a matter of fact, um, right about this time um, in the year is about, is about 21 to 27, a writer by the name of Strabo wrote to the deputy governor of his region in Africa about the incredible result of 400 shoots obtained from a single grain of seed. And he packaged them up and he sent them to Nero, the emperor, a little later on. This is several years later. Uh, when, when this had happened, they sent them. And Nero was so impressed, he gave the guy Roman citizenship, which is a big deal for somebody in the ancient world. And so across Andalusia and Egypt and Sicily, this new type of grain, this Kofu grain, uh, was transforming the way farmers lived. That's your cultural setting. As Jesus starts to teach to this crowd, he's talking to people who are out there who are farmers, who are fishermen. He's talking to a group of people out there, some of whom are, are builders like himself, construction workers. Others are, are the artisans who make pots. Others are the people who are vineyard owners who make the wine and, the, and the, all this agrarian society. And in that crowd, as they're hearing about this planting and the yielding, it immediately resonates with them. And if you're planting your garden or you live around where agriculture is taking place here in Door County, Wisconsin, general, you're seeing what's happening right now. Keep that in your mind because the parable then and the parable now are going to come together and you're going to start to see where you can make application right now. We're going to look at three things today as we get ready to read. The first of all, we're going to look at the story here. It's, it's, it's a story for all, but not everybody's getting it. So that's point one. Point two is going to be spiritual muscles make strong believers. And point three, we're going to look at the priesthood of the believer. So those of you who grew up Baptist and Presbyterian are like, oh, we know the third one. Uh, but, but we'll reiterate it. And you'll, you'll be fine. So stories are for all, but not everybody's getting it. Spiritual muscles make strong believer and the priesthood of the believer. So let's open up in prayer and then we'll go to Mark chapter 4 and pick up on our message today. Father God, we are grateful for the freedom, for the liberty to be able to gather in this place today. God, I thank you for all the other believers in Jesus Christ that have gathered in this room. I thank you for, for the curious. I'm, I'm grateful for the people who've come to say, what's this all about? What's going on? Lord, I just pray that as we talk today and as we look at your scripture and we, um, we're awed a bit and we're laughing a bit and we, and we learn, I just pray that during this time um, we will have ears to hear what it is you want us to hear and understand. 
God, that we walk away from this place today with something that's actionable, something that we can work with, something that we can make application of in our own individual lives. God, I pray for clarity for me. I pray for uh, unique understanding for everybody in the room. And these things we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the very real and empowering Holy Spirit in this place. Amen. <coughs> Mark chapter 4, uh, verses 1 um, through 13. Again, he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got in a boat on the sea and sat down. While the whole crowd was by the sea on the shore, he taught them many things in parables. In his teaching, he said to them, Listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew quickly since the soil wasn't deep. When the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. Still other seed fell on good ground, and it grew up, producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. Ah, did you hear that? Hear that? They heard it too. Then he said, let anyone who has, hear, who has ears listen. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And Jesus answered them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything comes in parables, so that they may indeed look and yet not perceive. They may indeed listen and yet not understand. Otherwise, they may turn back and be forgiven. Now, um, in our English language, when, in our Western approach, when we say otherwise, that's kind of the negative, like, well, otherwise they might, you know, get something. In Jesus' way, it was a positive, and otherwise they, they may hear, and they would get something out of it. So Jesus is sharing this message with all. The parable is one you've heard before, I'm sure, even if you're just slightly familiar with church. You've got the, the, the farmer or, or the sower goes out, and he's casting grain. And he's casting it out there. And some falls on the path, and other uh, in shallow soil. Other, the thorns are going to grow up, and the dandelions, whatever. And the others, it falls right there on great soil, and it grows, and it makes a wonderful harvest. And, and as we talk about that, it sounds like a pretty straightforward, simple parable. Nothing remarkable about it. But think about who he's talking to. He's talking to many people there who are, they themselves, agricultural folks. They know what it is to plant. Now, they may not all, not all be wheat farmers. Some of them are going to run vineyards, some of them are going to run orchards, some of them are going to be bringing up barley instead of weed, and some are, are, are putting in different types of crops, and that's fine. But they understand what it is to cast your seed. They understand what it is that all soils don't receive it the same. The interesting thing about this parable, though, is when Jesus is delivering it, the crowd that he's delivering it to is diverse. You see, in that particular crowd where it's going, you're going to have these farmers, you're going to have commoners, you're going to have a lot of people who came for the show. They came because Jesus has been healing people. He's been the guy that you could bring your friend to with the withered hand and Jesus heals it and, and your hands work again. He's the one that Jesus, you know, he heals the blind person they can see. The person who was dumb, mute, they couldn't, they could, now they can speak again. They were paraplegic and now they're running around and jumping and hopping. This is big news in the ancient world. And remember, the area where Jesus is working, it's only about the size of Door County. It's not that big an area. And of the, of the million or so people that live right there in that region, it is a big deal what's going on with Jesus. So folks are coming for the show. They're coming for the wow. They're coming for what they can get out of it. And Jesus is now going to shift tactics. Rather than healing, 
at this point, Jesus is going to focus more on healing the soul. The body's being healed. The message is there. But he didn't heal everyone because now moving from healing, he's going to move into healing the, not the body, but the soul. And he's going to start to turn their eyes and their ears to things of heaven. But he's going to do it in these parables. And these parables are delivered not because he wants to confuse people, but because he wants to make sure everybody's listening and making application. So let, let's look just a second. They, they've, they've heard him deliver it. They're, they're trying to grasp these followers. Why do, you, why do you do it in a confusing way? Why don't you just make it simple? Why don't you just make it easy? Why don't you just make your point? And Jesus is saying, oh, I do that because in hearing they don't hear and seeing they don't see. They listen, but they don't understand. But if they do, otherwise, if they do, they'll be saved. And so this is why Jesus is doing it. I imagine it gets their attention and it focuses them wherever you may be coming from. Because, see, in this crowd, there's some other people. It's not just the farmers. It's not just the sick. It's not just some of his family who are coming around like, what are you doing? You're embarrassing your mother. You know, what is this healing thing? And you're not eating well. And what are you dressed in? And you're kind of going up against the, the church, man. What are you, what's going on? And so the curious are there too. But there's two other groups of people that are in this audience. And I really want you to hear this this morning. And I want you to draw some distinction. Now, before you start thinking, oh boy, here we go again, a history lesson from Professor Shannon. Here's what I want you to get. This matters. And it matters to the message. And it matters to the way you read the Bible and understand Jesus' culture. There's two other groups of people are in this crowd now as Jesus is speaking. There's Pharisees and there's Sadducees. Now, in a moment of great honesty, how many of you already knew there was a significant difference or just kind of assumed they're about the same? How many of you figured they're about the same? Okay, cool. There's the honest among you. Thank you. Uh, how many of you are big dog liars and you just figured they're totally different? You knew all the differences. You have them chronologically uh, laid out. They're two very different groups of people, and this is, this is important to grasp. The Sadducees are the wealthy, blue-blood nobles. They are from Jerusalem. They live in Jerusalem. They stay in Jerusalem. They travel out, but zip, they go right back to where they came from. Think city. Think the capital if you're a Hunger Games fan. Two, three of you, maybe more? Okay. Yeah, they're, they, they're, they're Beltway people. They don't go outside the Beltway. This is where they live. This is their world. Uh, they are Torah only. In other words, uh, the books of Moses. That's what they study. That's what they believe in. That's what they're focused on only. They don't believe in an afterlife. They believe you please God, you please man, you get wealthy, you do what you can. When you die, it's all over. That's their way of thinking. They are the friends of the Herodians. In other words, Herod's the ones who had sold out to Rome and who were doing all the building and the beautifying of the Middle East, they had sold out to Rome and they had sacrificed some of their own religious and cultural identity to Rome and they were happy to do it. They had great political influence. They were uh, not layers, they were lawyers. Hmm. Spell, they weren't spell checkers. Uh, they, were, they were lawyers and judges. They controlled that and they were getting along with Rome. And the other thing about these Sadducees, they ran this thing called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was kind of the court, that kind of their supreme court for Judaism, all right? So you get in a sense, wealthy, blue blood, elitist, noble, lawyer types, live in the capital, live in the center of the city, <clears throat> get along with their captors, Rome, trying to be friends with Rome. On the other hand, middle class Zionist purists are the Pharisees. They believe in the Torah, the book of Moses, all right, but they've added to it this thing called the Mishnah with 613 laws. 
and lots and lots and lots of other sub-laws that told you how you had to live every moment of your life. And with, with great fineness and fine tips on all of it, these, these people, these, these Pharisees would tell you, ah, you can only walk this many steps on the Sabbath. If you take one more, it's sin, and we will stone you dead. That's the kind of fanatical legalists they were. Crazy. They had great disdain for Herod and the Herodians and anybody who associated with them. Their influence was among the masses. And although they spent a lot of time in Jerusalem for sure, these people also ran most of the synagogues and the little, uh, the little teaching outposts, and they went around as itinerant teachers. Uh, they wore these boxes on their foreheads and their wrists called phylacteries, and they had pieces of Scripture in there, these big, bold, annoying phylacteries, and they had the special hair and the special clothes, and they never missed an opportunity to tell you how you didn't measure up. They hated Rome and everything about it. So these Pharisees and these Sadducees, they really, they had a couple of things in common, but they were like Republicans and Democrats today. You think it's hostile in America? These people really didn't get along, okay? So they may have, you know, like today, our, our, our good friends, the Republicans and the Democrats in this part, they may both believe in the Constitution, but they don't approach it the same way at all. They both believed in the Torah, but the Pharisees and Sadducees didn't approach it the same way at all. You know the one thing these guys were agreeing on, though? They don't like this Jesus cat. We don't like this guy. He's, he's fulfilling laws. He's fulfilling prophecies. He's being messianic. He's healing people. He's messing with our system, our financial system, our social system. He's messing with all of it. And he's saying things. And he's confusing people. And they like him better than they like us. And he humiliated us. The Pharisees hate him. And now the Sadducees are starting to put their attention in here like, what's going on? Because you see, the Sadducees run the temple. Pharisees don't run the temple, friends. Sadducees do. And Jesus is a direct threat to all of them. So in this crowd, you got agrarian, you got farmers, you got middle class, you got sick people who've been healed, you got very sick people who want to be healed, you got people who came for the show, people who came for the awe, you've got the, the wealthy blue blood elite, and you've got the, the legalistic uh, people of the masses. You get in the sense of the crowd, <clears throat> and Jesus is going to deliver his message to that crowd. I want you to listen to how he explains that message, though, to his apostles. They're like, what what does this message mean? What are you talking about in the parables? What's the explanation? Jesus explains it in Mark chapter 4, verses 14 through 20, and it goes like this. The sower sows the word. Some are like the word sown on the path, whether they hear immediately. When they hear immediately, Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them, and others are like seed sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word immediately, they receive it with joy, but they have no root. They're short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. <clears throat> Others are like seen thrown among, sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things enters in and chokes the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those like seeds sown on good ground hear the word, welcome it, and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. When we American, Western, contemporary Christians read this passage, we do this thing. We hear I. 
We, we read this passage and we think individuals are hearing the word and individuals are making application. Now, we do that as Americans because that's how we function. After all, how is America formed? It was, it was pilgrims, it was Puritans coming here who wanted to be free and have liberty, individual liberty and rights and freedoms, have their own farm, do it the way they want, live off their land. They didn't want to pay taxes to some government. And as things got tense and tight, we shoved away this government that was trying to take from us. And we wanted you know, no taxation without representation. And, and you get away from me. I get what I, I, it's me, it's mine. It wasn't working. So people went west and they formed their own farms and their own lands and their own communities and they held their own things here and stay away, get away from me. Fierce individualism, that's how we're formed. The pursuit of, of American happiness and the American dream is based on what? Individual rights and liberties and achievements so steeped in each and every one of us is this sense that it's me, it's my, it's my own choices, my own quest. I want to do this. I want to achieve this. I want to do better. And I'm pursuing the dream. And I may be a part of a family, but it's all about me and what I do and I do. Don't associate me with that. This is me. And we individualist Westerners, this is how we do things. So when we come to the Scriptures, what do we do? We read it and we imagine this is I. Okay, what does this mean to me? How does my application? So Jesus is saying that I am one of those types of soil. Um, no. In this particular environment, Jesus is offering a remarkable, multi-tiered and layered thing. One of it is a social commentary on his day. And the people who were in that audience knew exactly who he was talking to. They knew exactly which type of soil their group was. The Sadducees as a whole knew he was talking about them. The Pharisees knew. They knew. The, the sick who were getting healed, you know, who, who were ready to leave because now it wasn't fun anymore. It wasn't a show anymore. Now he's teaching. Them. They knew he was talking to them. And today, when we look at it, we know. We know who he's talking about. But here's the challenge. Can you look at it rather than as individual I? Can you look at it as the collective we? Because when Jesus delivered it, it was delivered as a collective. Now, it certainly has individual appropriation. It absolutely has that. And we as born-again Jesus followers need to be thinking continually about, God, am I living in such a way that, that the seed in me is, is producing fruit in others? Yes, yes, yes. But also let's think about us, the people, us, the church, us Christians, us in our social class, in our strata, in our family, in our tribe, in our group, in our clique. How are we making that collective application? Because that's exactly how Jesus did it. So when the message comes to the Sadducees, what happens for the Sadducees is, oops, it falls among thorns. And what's indicative of those thorns? Well, amongst those thorns, what happens is the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things enter in and choke out the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So for those Sadducees, their obsession with wealth and power was choking it out. For those people who were there just to get a kick out of it, it, was, it wasn't staying, it wasn't lasting. So let, let's think about this. For those farmers who are in that crowd, they're hearing about casting seed out. And seed falls here and it falls here and it falls here and it falls here. And for those farmers, they were thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is a precious commodity, the seed that I'm holding. This is better than money because one grain can produce a hundred. Or like this Kofu grain, produce as much as 360 to 400, which is astonishing. Every grain matters. 
the, the farmer I chatted with the other day, he, he was drilling and putting the grain in very specific places so those seeds would grow up very specifically, and he was metering it very carefully as to how much he was putting down and how much it would yield because he didn't want to waste. And these people in the crowd are thinking, you're casting seed? You're, you're what? You're, you're casting? Are you kidding? How can you control where it goes? You need to be more specific. Don't, you know, don't just throw it out there. You need to be, make sure it goes right where it can produce. Don't just throw it out there. So they're hearing that, and they're processing that piece of information. Why would you throw it out to everybody? Just throw it out where you know it's going to be successful. Be careful. Focus. Focus here, there, Jesus guy. By the way, my friend wants to get healed. Can you help that out again? So you see where the audience is hearing it very particularly? And for each of those groups of folks, the application is unique. So that's what's happening at that moment. So everybody's hearing the same message, but not everybody's hearing what it means. At the same time, everybody's hearing the same message, and they're immediately quantifying it and figuring out where I belong in this message that Jesus is delivering. You see how he's doing this all at once? But wait, there's more. There's more that Jesus is doing in this moment, and it gets even more fascinating. So I told you before, uh, the story's for all, but not everybody's getting it. Some people who were just there for the entertainment are going, is anybody else bored? I'm looking for another show. You know, I liked when he was healing the dude. You know, oh, oh this guy over here, he's walking now, and the, the blind guy can see. That was really cool. And the whole demon thing, that was cool to watch. Wow, casting out demons. Don't be a pig, you know. Ooh. But, but hey, this show's boring now. I'm ready for the entertainment. So they don't want to hear all this stuff. They're just there for the show. Does any of this sound like churches in America today? Are there people, or maybe, maybe it's you, maybe it's, maybe it's some of you. You've come to church because the music is great, and it's a lot of fun, it's woo, and I get to celebrate and have my hands up, and I like the beat, and it sounds good, and they're, they're playing nice, and I just sure, I sure do like that music. And then you, you come to church for that. Others of you, you come because, hey, it's free coffee. <laughs> you know, hey, i got to pay big money for that the rest of the week. On Sunday, it's free. Yay. And, so, and, then, and others of you are here because you've been told your whole life on Sunday, thou must be in church low, and if thou doeth not, thou goeth even unto hell. And, and so you, you, show, you show up here to church out of a sense of legalism and things like that. It, but by the way, I was talking with Father Carl. His friend, isn't that funny that the Catholic priest and the community church pastor are good friends? But Carl and I were, were having lunch this week, and, and I made him pay. <laughs> and so as we're, as, we're, as we're, he doesn't have a wife and kids to worry about, right? So as, as we're sitting there, he, he, he'll hear that, so he'll mess with me. As we're sitting there talking, he was, he was really concerned because one of the, the teachers in, in uh, the schools had told these children that if you're not at Mass every Sunday, it's a mortal sin and you will go to hell. And Carl was really, really irritated. He's like, that is, that is not in Scripture. And he said, it bothers me when even in my church, even in, in the, the church Catholic, when things I have that are inconsistent with Scripture, it really bothers me. And so I had, to, I had to sternly set her straight, and I had to go into her class and set the class straight. And she said, but she, but she said to me, that's what I was taught growing up. And he said, but that doesn't mean it's right. Ooh, how many of us have grown up hearing, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this to be at peace, you got to do this to be right with God. And sometimes it's not what Scripture's teaching, it's just legalism, it's Pharisaism. Here's God's word. This is junk we've piled on top of it that masks and hides what, what God's trying to tell you. And, and thorns grow up all around it. Or the roots don't have anywhere to go. And the message of Jesus and grace and forgiveness and love and his call to servanthood is lost on you because of these other things that have been added. 
but I digress. Spiritual muscles make strong believers. Spiritual muscles make strong believers. Spiritual muscles are this. How many of you have heard the phrase that if you, you, you give somebody a fish, you'll feed them for a day. If you teach them to fish, you feed her for a lifetime, right? You, you've heard this. Okay. And, and there's a lot of truth in that, right? And we've used it as kind of a thing like Henny Penny. How does Henny Penny do? She prepares for the winter. And in the winter, she's prepared. So it teaches us the lesson of oh, being industrious and preparing for the winter. And, uh, and a penny saved is a penny earned. And, and we get these messages. So here comes this whole, is that the wrong one? Did I get it mixed up? Oh, mom. No, I'm not calling mom Henny Penny. She's mom Penny. Sorry. So if, if, if you're new here, my mom is right here. Her name is Penny, so that's not where the Henny Penny came from. So <laughs> you can't distract ADD people like that. You're killing me. Where are we? What are we talking about? Revelation, James, what is today about? <clears throat> you teach a person to fish, you feed them for a lifetime. So when we as Christian people, uh, like anybody else, when you have to figure it out and study it and let the meaning come to you, now you own it. It's yours. And you'll carry it with you the rest of your life. It's the reason spiritual disciplines exist. When you in prayer and you focus in prayer, and maybe when you fast and you separate yourself from other things and own this moment and pray in this moment, it becomes yours. When you study something hard and learn it, it's imprinted. It belongs to you. It's why we do school. It's why you go on to college and graduate degrees and everything, is you become more and more and more and more and more owning this thing that becomes a part of you. As Jesus is delivering this message to this crowd, he doesn't just give it to them. He gives them the message that they have to work with and think about. They've got to focus until it really becomes their own. Paul, later on in speaking about some of these things, used some phrases. He said, think on these things. As he was talking to the Philippians, he said those things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Think on these things. Ponder on these things. Let, let this mind be in you that was in Christ. Humility, humbling yourselves, serving God. Think about it. Ponder on it. In, in, in Romans 12, too, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, not wills, the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In a day and an age where Jesus was delivering his message, they didn't have cell phones and the internet and television. Their kids didn't race home from school and turn on the TV. They didn't, they didn't as soon as they're bored with mom and dad, go to their device. You know, they didn't sit around the table like you see at restaurants where there's four people around the table and they should be talking, but they're all looking on their phone. You know, you know, and I'm guilty of that, too. It's not just Mike Gingler. A lot of, a lot of us do that. And so what happened, I'm goofing. They focused. They would gather together at meals as family, as clans, as friends, as common people, and they would talk about what they heard today, and they would process it in community. And in community, as they discuss it, it would start to take root, and they would own what they're hearing, and they would make application now. And as Jesus is delivering that message to those people, he's giving them a chance now to develop their spiritual muscles, to own that message, and to start making application in their own lives. And that's what happens when you build the muscles. They're stronger for it. Now, let me take you on a side road for just a second, okay, a little rabbit trail. We at Sturgeon Bay Community Church are about to bring on and to hire a full-time professional student ministries pastor. Why would you do that in the life of a church? Why would you spend all that money when, to bring somebody in and, and, and invest in teenagers? Here's why. Because the seeds planted in those teenagers that sprout in their hearts and in their lives, that are cultivated and taught and become their own, 
those seeds, those teenagers are going to go from your homes into the workplace, into the education place, and they're going to own their faith. And that faith is going to blossom and bloom. And the way that they live out their lives now is going to be transformed by the renewing of their minds. And sometimes in a church our size of 300 or so people, there, there's going to be 50, 60 teenagers who are going to hear that message. And, and maybe two or three of them, it's going to be hard soil. They're just not going to pay attention because they were just here for the hot dogs and the nachos and to get out of the house. But the majority of them are going to take that message. And they're going to be, through great leadership, they're going to go and they're going to do ministry. They're going to do missions. They're going to socialize together and reinforce what they're hearing. They're going to put to practice the lifestyles of purity and value systems that matter in a Christian's life. They're going to be encouraged and built up in that, and it's going to blossom in those people. And they're going to go out into the world, and they're going to be people sent, ambassadors of Jesus Christ with renewed minds who think on the things of Jesus because that's how they've been crafted. That's what we do. Now, let's be honest. As a church... We have done a terrible job of this over the past 20 years. It frustrates us all, and we've been honest. We're not throwing stones, but when we look around our body, how many people in this church today grew up here, were shaped and formed here, and have come back to serve and to lead and to raise their families here? Ugh, that's an indictment. You see, we got to do better. We've got to make sure that we are broadcasting and teaching to every teenager we can reach in Door County, teaching the truth and the love and the values of Jesus Christ and giving them the opportunity to blossom as they go. And many will return here to raise their kids in this environment and repeat what happened in their life and invest in the church that invested in them. And then the generation after generation after generation, the church grows. It's going to be a thing where the volunteers in our student ministry who give of their time and love our teenagers are empowered and they're given the resources and the support that they need to do even better jobs. That's where we're going. You know why? Because we are going to cast that seed and it's going to make a difference. And one of those teenagers that's going to grow up in this church is going to be somebody who finds himself in another church somewhere down the line or maybe in this one. And God's going to call them into ministry. And they're going to give their heart and their soul to Jesus. And they're going to serve Him vocationally. And she or he is going to be that person that pastors and loves and teaches and trains hundreds and hundreds of other teenagers who in turn, maybe one of them will do the same. Do you see why the investment is worthwhile? Do you understand? We gather together as a church and we do this together because it has eternal significance. We're going to cast grain in this community. Ladies and gentlemen, 1,270 people between the ages of 12 and 19 live in Door County. Of them, less than 300 are involved in a youth group every Wednesday night. And that's including catechisms. The need is real. The fields are ready. Let's go, let's go sow. You with me? We've made the decision. I just want to make sure we're always keeping it in front of our mind why we're doing it. Okay, back on the main path. In other words, uh, stay focused. The reason, the reason that the spiritual muscles need to be built and the reason that Jesus delivers the parables is they take it home, they ponder it, they think about it, and they put it into action in their own personal way because the community around them comes together and they figure out what this looks like in my life and what this looks like in our community and in our friend group and, and, and in our sphere of influence and in my workplace. That's why Jesus did the parables. And then thirdly and lastly this morning, 
the priesthood of the believer. You see, Jesus is going to send people home with the word. Whoop, you got that, right? The word is going to go home with them, and they're going to process the word, and they're going to put it into action. And what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit is going to reveal, giving them ears to hear and eyes to see. And they're going to put into action what they've learned. Now, when we talk about the priesthood of the believer, essentially what we are talking about is this. Uh, this is going to come from 1 Peter 2, 5-9. through 9. You've probably heard this verse before, but it says, You also, as living stones, are being built up in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You are the people that God has called and is sending to take the message, to cast the seed, and to make a difference in your community. The priest of the believer, number one then, is when the, the thick temple veil, remember that? And in, in, in Jesus died on the cross and, and his soul left, the temple veil was rent from top to bottom, right? Rent. By the way, that veil was somewhere around six inches thick. Okay, anybody capable of, of tearing a six-inch piece of fabric in half all the way down? Uh, no, no, you're not. Not even the people who tear phone books. But this thing was rent from top to bottom as God's way of saying, the veil is gone, now people come straight to me. So the priest of the believer, God was indicating in the Old Testament priesthood was no longer necessary. Now people could come directly to God through the great high priest, Jesus Christ. There are now no earthly mediators between God and man as existed in the Old Testament priesthood or maybe a religious function in which you have been raised. The priesthood now is you. You have the right to be able to pray just like Jesus taught you, which is to say, our Father. Not to repeat our Father over and over again because God is not impressed by your repetition. God is impressed by you realizing that you can go straight to Him in prayer and say, Father God, and offer your petition. Offer your confession. Offer your request. Lord, please forgive me for this. I, I have done this again and again. And I did it again. And I know we keep having this conversation. God, please forgive me. Help me overcome this. Would you bring people into my life to help me? When you, when you pray, you go straight to the Father, just like the Old Testament priest could. They could go straight to God. And you don't need that priest to intercede for you. Friends, here's what that means. Listen, you don't need to pray to, you don't need to come to me or to an elder and say, would you please pray for me? Would you please ask God to do this in my life? Here's what your elders are going to say. I'll pray with you. I love you. We'll pray together. I'll pray in my prayer time with you and for you. But together we'll pray. But God hears your voice too, child. We pray. And each one of you can do that. You don't need a dead saint. You don't need... A, a dead lady. Okay, you, you, you don't need to go to somebody who dresses strange. You don't need to go to a special place that's set aside for it. You can pray where you are to God, and He can hear you. Because you, you are a child of the King, priesthood of the believer. Now, the second part of this that's incredibly important, the second aspect of the believer's priesthood is that we are chosen for a purpose to offer up spiritual sacrifices and to proclaim the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. But now, now, life and word, okay? Life and word. I want you to take those two. Life and word on purpose. 
here's how this happens. The people in, in not just Judaism, but a lot of other pagan religions around the world, they would come and they would bring sacrifices to give to the gods in hopes that somehow that would put them at peace with the gods. The ancient Mayans were, were, were bringing grain and offerings and bulls and people, and, and they were hoping that the rain gods would come again, and, and they were bringing their sacrifices. In, in the ancient world around where, um, where this message was delivered, people would bring uh, gifts and offerings to the Roman gods and the Greek gods and the Assyrian gods. And the Jews were bringing sacrifices to their gods. And in all this, everybody's making a sacrifice. Where did they bring the sacrifices to? Well, they brought them to the priests. And the priests took the resource, stick with me, the priests took the resource offering and brought it to God and used it. Tracking? Okay. You, a priest, the priesthood of you, the believer, the resources God has given you, okay, those gifts, those talents, that time, those, that ability, those, the, those things, you give those back to God in the form of service, in the form of offering them to Him, using your gifts and talents and times and treasures in ways that honor God and bring glory to His name, serving through this local congregation and making a difference in this community so that we can transform this community by loving God and loving other people. That's what we do as priests. And by word means that you can speak the truth. You can read the word and speak the truth that that word has. You don't have to be pastor so-and-so to speak truth from Scripture. Now, the beauty of God calling so, some people into, into ministry, into pastorship, we get to spend our whole life doing this and studying and becoming great students and reveling in it and focusing in it and leading people. On. That's a brilliant calling if God calls you to it, not without its challenges. But you, priest, have the ability to be able to read the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit's clarity and through the clarity of others around you, speak truth into the lives of people and have the Bible speak truth into you. What an amazing gift. You, you priest. So here's the challenge now. You've been given this message that Jesus gave the people that day. It's about the grain, right? It's about the grain being cast. And it's about you having this resource. Now let me, let's revisit. This resource was better than money because very few of us can take a dollar and plant it in the ground and grow a money tree that turns into $400. If you can, um, Terry and the finance team would really like to meet with you today following the... We all understand that you can invest a dollar and hope to get a, a little more on your return for that investment. But grain, how many of you know investments, for sure ones, where you can take a dollar and in three months turn it into $400? Again, would you please see Terry immediately following this? They knew that those grains, when planted, would have that kind of a yield, and that's what they were doing. So imagine the value of a, of a handful of grain. Imagine what it's worth. Imagine there are a thousand little kernels here in your hand, and each one can make 300, 100 more kernels. And that, that valuable crop, when it's cast, you're giving it away. You can't necessarily control where it goes, but you know that when you cast it, some of it is going to blossom and bloom. We, church, we, we as a people, invest of our time, our talent, our resources, our love, our prayers, our passions, because we know that when we serve our community, we're looking to make disciples in this community that are going to transform it by loving God and others. 
we know that what's going to happen is that sometimes we're going to live out our Christian life. We're going to use the resources God gave us in such a way that people are just going to take advantage of it. Sometimes they're going to scoff at you. Sometimes they're going to follow for a while. And as soon as the challenges of everyday life hit them, they're going to turn away. We know that, that as a church, we're going we're gonna to bring great worship and great teaching and great life group discipleship and great youth ministry and great work. And we're, our children's ministry is going to flourish. All these things are going to happen. We're going to send missionaries and support missionaries and talk about We're going to do all these things. And what we know is this. Some of that seed that we're going to cast is going to be valuable seed. And it's going to seem wasted because not everybody's going to respond. And so we're going to have this tendency to go, I want to kind of, well, there's one over there. Maybe that'll, maybe, maybe that'll work. And I like this one. I'll flick a few over there, and that, that'll kind of work. And then, you know, no. And then and we're going to act like that with our resources and our treasure and our time and our passions. Let's be careful. Jesus delivered that parable to a vast group of people. And he knew some of them were just there for the hurrah. He knew some of them were just there for the freebies. They were just there maybe for the free fish and fish and bread they've heard about. Some of them were there to get healed. Some of them were there because they wanted to figure out a way to trap him. Others were there because they wanted to grow and wanted to learn. And they couldn't explain it, but they were drawn to this teacher. Ladies and gentlemen, live your lives in a way that whoever sees you, whoever watches you, will unmistakably see that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And that what's true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy, that which is, which is patient and kind and gentle and honest and long-suffering, these attributes they see in you are like seeds being cast. And that your life as a priest, your life as a teacher, makes a difference to everyone around you. Our, uh, our worship team is going to come back up to play here for just a minute. And here's, here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to spend a little bit of time in focused prayer today. This isn't about the people around you. This isn't about your spouse. And you guys can hold hands if you want. That's, that's fine. But I want this time to be between you and your God for a minute. You and God for just a few minutes. So the way we normally do this at Community Church, we just ask you to close your eyes, to bow your heads, and just get in front of God for a moment. He's not a stranger. He's your God. And I just want us to take some time in prayer and ask some very specific questions of God, some probing ones maybe, that he would begin to work in your heart, in your mind during this time. So with, with heads bowed, with eyes closed, Jesus, we gather now just asking you um, to point out in each one of us, what's this message, what's this parable saying to me? God, what were you trying to tell me about who I am and how I use the resources, the seed that you've given me? Friends, this is about you before God. God, how am I stewarding the resources you're placing in me? Am I casting that seed?
Lord Jesus, as you delivered that message, you spoke to very holy people. You spoke to pretty unholy and common people. You spoke to those who loved you and to those who hated you, those who didn't understand you and those who did. Lord, but you gave them a resource each one of them was responsible for. God, you've planted the seed of truth in each one of our hearts today. God, would you help us to be generous in the way that we give of ourselves to others, the way that we share that truth and live that truth out to others. And now, God, another request. Would you, during this time now, reveal to us in our hearts and our spirits right now, God, as a church, we the people, this collective, Sturgeon Bay Community Church, Lord, how are we investing in our community? How are we casting? Are we casting seeds well, God? Are we hoarding? Lord, would you show us where we need to be more effective so that people can hear the gospel and have a chance to spiritually mature, to, to be transformed in the renewing of their minds because of the work that we've done. God, would you guide us collectively as a church in the right direction? Father God, never let us be stingy. Never let us be protective. God, we are your priests. We are your children. Here among many brethren, God, you've given us time and talent and treasures, resources, gifts, values that matter in our community. And God, I just pray that we would collectively and together combine and do the things that matter most here so people will hear the gospel, see the gospel, be drawn to the gospel. And know that within this church body are people who love our community and are serving them because we love God. Lord Jesus, we lift this prayer up together as one in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Well, friends, thank you for being here this morning. You've gathered together as a congregation. Now the challenge is to go be the church in this community. Go in peace.